Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Woo, my mic is hot. Wow. <laughs> How are you this morning? You're all doing all right? It's nice to see you all here. Hey, we're continuing our teaching series on the life of David, and uh, today we are going to be looking at the story of David and Absalom. Uh, and I, I want to start looking at this story, but actually looking at one of the most interesting verses in the entire account. And uh, it's, it's actually a rather important verse because it's the verse on which the entire story of David and Absalom turns. Here's the verse, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 10. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. This is a very interesting verse. And uh, it raises a lot of questions. First of all, who is Absalom? Second, why was he hanging in an oak tree? And third, what was it that this man also saw? And to answer these questions, we're actually going to go back to the beginning of the story. And uh, the story of Absalom and David begins uh, after the birth of Solomon, David's son. And it also begins after the incident of David and Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. And it's, it's a convoluted sort of a tale. It's got lots of plots and lots of twists. And it's also quite graphic. So be forewarned as we walk through this story together. But this is one of the things I do love about Scripture is that Scripture doesn't gloss over human failure, human tragedy, or human mistakes. So we're going to learn about that together this morning. And it's a story, as we'll discover, that has eight parts to it. So bear with me as we go through it together. So, so David had two older sons. The older sons were Absalom and Amnon. And uh, they were stepbrothers. They were brothers from a different mother. Uh, but Amnon was the oldest, which meant that he was at the top of the pecking order in the family. And very likely, he would end up being the heir to David's throne. Uh, Absalom had an older sister named Tamar, and she was beautiful. She was drop-dead gorgeous. And Amnon had a thing for her. In fact, he was, he was infatuated with her. So Amnon cooked up a plot, and he managed to get her alone with him in his bedroom. And when she was alone with him in his bedroom, he violated her. Against all of her protests, he took advantage of her. And then after he had done that, he scorned her. He actually sent her out. He called in his servants. He says, take this woman and get her out of here. So the object of his infatuation became the object of his hatred. And this act, this thing that he did to her, absolutely ruined her life. It absolutely destroyed her. He, he, but he didn't care. He essentially just tossed her out like a piece of garbage. Even though the Torah, the law, required that if a man would do this to a woman, he was required to marry her. Um, so as a result, Tamar was shamed. Uh, she was disqualified from marriage, so no, no man would want to marry her after this. And she would spend the rest of her days in lonely desolation, living in Absalom's household. Now, when David heard about this, he was absolutely furious with Amnon, but he did nothing. He didn't make him marry her. There were no consequences. David simply did nothing. And as a result of this, Absalom hated his brother Amnon. But Absalom did not talk to him. He said nothing. He simply waited. 
Now, two years go by after this, and Absalom still has not retaliated. He's not said anything. Meanwhile, you can imagine every single day he's going to supper. Tamar is coming down at the supper table with him. She's broken. She's ashamed. She's like a, a, a dim shadow of the bright light who she wants to be. And you can imagine that bitterness is just beginning to rise up in Absalom's heart. So Absalom convinced his father to send Amnon on a bit of a field trip with him. And all of the other king's sons were going along on this field trip. So, so, so they went away. They sheared a few sheep. They had a lot of drinks together. And late in the night when Amnon was thoroughly pickled, when he had way too many, Absalom had his servants murder Amnon there at the feast. After that, I mean, like the king's sons scatter. There's a huge uproar. And then the news comes back to David. Amnon is dead. And Absalom is responsible. And so as a result of that, Absalom fled to a place called Gesher. Now, Gesher is an interesting place because the king of Gesher was, in fact, Absalom's grandfather. So he couldn't go home to dad, right, because he was exiled. Instead, he went to see grandpa, and he stayed with his grandfather for three years. And it says that as a result of this, the king wept bitterly at the death of his son, Amnon. But over time, he began to mourn for his other son, Absalom. We pick up the account in, in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 13. Here's what it says. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted by Amnon, about Amnon since he was dead. Now, we still don't know why Absalom was hanging in a tree, but we're going to get there. We just have to continue with the story. So finally, after three years, Absalom returns to Jerusalem, but it's not the king's idea. Now, remember, the king did nothing about Amnon. The king actually did nothing about Absalom. Finally, it's Joab, the king's commander, who reaches out to the king and says, listen, you got to let your son come back to Jerusalem. So the king allows him to come back to Jerusalem. The only thing is, Absalom was not allowed into the king's presence. He could come back to the city. He had to get his own house. And after that, he couldn't leave the city. So Absalom sat around in the city for two years, and he heard nothing from his father. David did nothing. Now, you've got to think about that, okay? He was exiled for three years. He's stuck in the city for two years. It's been five years, five years since he's heard from his father, the father who mourned his loss, the father who loves him. So we read what happened uh, after this um, in, in chapter 14. But, but I, I have to say, first of all, Absalom, he got fed up with this. He said, I, you know, I'm in the city two years. I haven't heard from you. So he reaches out to Joab. Joab doesn't respond. He reaches out to Joab again. Joab doesn't respond. So finally, in a moment of desperation, a fit of absolute lunacy, he lights Joab's barley fields on fire, okay? And then finally, Joab goes to David and says, listen, you've got to do something about your son, Here's where we pick it up, verse 33. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Now, it's important to notice what didn't happen in this scenario. What didn't happen was the king still didn't speak to his son. Yes, he kissed his son, but really this was a matter of protocol. It was a matter of formality. It was a matter of saying, okay, I forgive you for what you've done. But he said nothing to him. The son that he'd mourned for, the son that he hadn't seen in five years. Imagine if you were Absalom in that situation. What would you feel? What would you think about your father? Five years. 
Now, Absalom was a handsome dude. Uh, as a matter of fact, Absalom was a hottie with a body, okay? It actually says that in the text. It says that from the top of his head to the tips of his toes, there was not a single blemish on his body, and he had this long, lush, beautiful hair, okay? Uh, it was just delicious hair. So he kind of reminds me of Fabio. I don't know if any of you remember who Fabio was. Um, Fabio was a, an Italian-American model and actor back in the 90s who kind of went made women's hearts flutter, okay? That was Fabio. So, so Absalom had, like, fabulous hair, if you can imagine that, okay? So the thing about uh, Absalom, though, is he, he wasn't just like a dreamboat, okay? He wasn't just drop-dead gorgeous. I know for all ladies, you're like, ooh, right? you know, okay, that might not be it, okay? That might not be your thing. I get that, okay. Uh, but he was more than a delicious dreamboat. He was actually a skilled politician with a shrewd mind. And so when he was rejected by David, and David still had said nothing to him, he, would, he decided that he was going to go down to the city gate, and he had his entourage of soldiers with him, his men with him, kind of a bit of a show of power. And as men from Israel would come into the city seeking an audience with the king, he would say to them, oh, you know, you want to speak to the king? I'm sorry, nobody from the king wants to talk to you. You're not going to hear, no, nobody from the king is going to allow you to um, bring your needs before the king. But if I was in charge, if I was in charge, things would be really, really different. And it says that one by one, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And still David did nothing. So four years this went on. Four years Absalom sitting by the city gate. Nine years since the incident with Amnon. Four years he's stealing the hearts of Israel. And finally David, uh, Absalom goes to David and he says, I'd like to go leave the city for the first time, and I want to go down to Hebron. I want to go to Hebron because I've made a vow that I would go there. Now, he's lying, okay, because what he really wants to do is he's hatching a conspiracy, and he wants to do a hostile takeover. But David says, okay, you can go to Hebron. So he goes down to Hebron, and when he gets there, he has all of his conspirators, all of his little birds who are scattered throughout the nation of Israel, suddenly rise up and shout out, Absalom is the king, he is the king of Hebron. And Hebron's a really unique place because Hebron was where David was crowned the king of Judah. So when that happened, it's like a tidal wave burst across Israel. Suddenly, everybody is throwing in their support for Absalom. It's like the, uh, uh, this conspiracy had just blossomed and grown. And it says that even David's best friend, his, one of his counselors, his greatest counselors, Ahithophel, decided that he was going to change sides. He crossed over, he no longer followed David, and he threw in his support for Absalom. Now, when David heard about this, he, he fled Jerusalem, okay? Because, because he knew he wasn't ready to face Absalom. He also didn't want blood in the streets uh, of Jerusalem. So it says that he left the city and he fled eastward. And as David was leaving the city of Jerusalem, it says that people who watched and observed him go by just wept at the loss of their king as he left. So David crossed the plain, he got to the Mount of Olives, and he made his steep ascent up the Mount of Olives. And as David's going up the Mount of Olives, he's mourning. He takes off his shoes, he goes barefoot, he covers his head as a sign of mourning as he's ascending the mountain. And then as David was ascending the mountain, he gets near the top, suddenly he hears the news about Ahithophel. And it's like a dagger to the heart. Because he knows that the people of Israel really trust the judgment of Ahithophel. Because he is, they say that his words were like the words of God whenever he spoke. That's how trusted he was. 
And so David whispered a prayer to the Lord. He said, Lord, would you please confuse the counsel of Ahithophel? But then in that moment, David did something very, very crafty, something very tactical. He had another friend who was with him who was kind of a counselor. His name was Hushai. And David said to Hushai, I don't want you to be with me. Instead, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to infiltrate the ranks of Absalom. I want you to spy on him, listen to what he's doing, and I want you to confuse his counsel. And so that's what Hushai did. Meanwhile, Absalom is back in Jerusalem. He's entered into the gates. There is no one there to resist him at all. And when Absalom gets inside the gates, who does he find? No one else but Hushai. And he says to Hushai, who are you following? Who do you serve? Will you serve me or you will serve my father? And Hushai says to him, I love this. He says, uh, I will serve the person whom the Lord and the people have chosen. That's a great answer. Because he didn't really answer the question. But then Hushai was welcomed in and he began to infiltrate Absalom's ranks. Now Absalom's in the city of Jerusalem and he, he really doesn't know exactly what to do. So he turns to his counselor, Ahithophel, and he says, what do you think I should do next? And, Ahith, and, and, and you've got to understand that at this time, David had left behind ten concubines to take care of his household while he was away. He couldn't just leave the house barren, so he left behind ten of his wives to, to take care of the house. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, he says, what you need to do is you need to pitch a tent on the roof of David's house, and you need to take all of those concubines up to the roof with you, and you need to make love to them so that all of Israel can see. Because when all of Israel sees this, they will know that there is a clear division between David and Absalom, that you are a stench in his nostrils, and they have to ultimately choose a side. And so that's what Ahithophel did. Now, how did Absalom end up in that oak tree? Well, we're coming to it. So David is down by the Jordan. Absalom is up in Jerusalem. David is exhausted. Absalom is kind of feeling exalted. And the question is, which of these two is going to end up winning the day? Well, Ahithophel counseled Absalom. He said to him, you need to attack David right away. Don't wait. As a matter of fact, give me 12,000 troops. I will go out against him in a bit of a surprise attack, and we will hit him while he's vulnerable, and we will absolutely scatter him. And when David's counselors had heard this, and David, uh, sorry, not David, uh, Absalom's counselors had heard this, and, and, and uh, Absalom had thought about it, he says, yeah, that seems like a really good idea. But then he turned to Hushai, and he said, Hushai, what do you think we should do? And Hushai said, well, I don't think that's a very good idea at all. Because David's out there in the wilderness, and he has with him his mighty men. I mean, these are fierce warriors. These are skilled, war-hardened veterans. If you attack them, they will rally. They'll be like a mama bear with their cubs, and you will not have a chance. And here's the thing. You only got one chance here. If you attack them and your men lose this first battle, all those people who just joined you from Israel, they are going to scatter. They're no longer going to follow you. Plus, remember, this is David. He's pretty good at hiding in the wilderness. There's a really good chance that you're not even going to find him. And then Hushai said this, said this. He said, instead, here's what you should do. Wait. Bring together all of your troops from across Israel into one massive army. Then go out and attack David in a show of force. And let Absalom lead the charge. Absalom thought about it, and he said, that sounds like a great idea. We're going to go with what Hushai says. Now, uh, this was actually very good for David because it actually gave David time to prepare. Absol uh, Hushai sent word to David. David heard about that, and he 
crossed over the Jordan, um, and he just holed up in a city that was nearby called Manaheim. And as the story goes, Ahithophel, when he learned that David had refused his counsel and had sided with Hushai, he went home, he put his house in order, and then he hung himself. That's a graphic story. So, David prepared his armies. Absalom put together his armies. He went down to the Jordan. He crossed over the Jordan to meet David. But David did not leave the city because his men didn't want him to leave the city. They were afraid that if he went out to battle, there was a good chance that he might be harmed, and they didn't want that. They wanted to preserve the line. So instead, David sent out his three commanders to lead his armies out against Absalom. And as those commanders were leaving the city, David gave them some instruction. And here's what he said. 2 Samuel, verse 18. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. Now, I don't know about you, but I can kind of imagine what Joab was thinking in this morning, in this moment. Like, deal gently with Absalom. <laughs> gently with Absalom. The man who, who stole your kingdom. The man who slept with your concubines. The man who slaughtered your other son. Gently with Absalom. David. Maybe, just maybe, none of this would have happened if you hadn't failed to act. If you had punished Amnon, or if you had embraced Absalom, or if you had gotten after Absalom when he was talking smack with you down by the city gates. And now, now, you want us to be gentle with Absalom. But of course, that was Joab's inside voice. <laughs> he didn't actually say that. So both armies ultimately collided in the forest of Ephraim. And, and there's some sort of a, 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 a miraculous event that happened that the forest actually acted on behalf of the armies of Israel. But in that day, David's armies demolished their enemies, absolutely destroyed them. And as Absalom was riding through the forest on the back of a mule, his mount happened to go under a very big, very broad-branched oak tree. And as he was going underneath of the oak tree, his fabulous hair got caught in the branches so that Absalom was just left there dangling, unable to escape. And here's where we pick up the story, where we began, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 10. And a certain man saw it, and he told Joab, Behold, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak. And Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Then why didn't you strike him there to the ground? You know, I would be glad to give you ten pieces of silver and a belt. But the man refused to strike Absalom because he had heard David and his commandment at the city gates. Go gently with Absalom. But Joab, Joab had enough of this. This had to end. So we pick up the verse 14. Joab says, I will not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand, and he thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. And thus ended Absalom. They buried him there in the wilderness. And so after all of this, 
The tale of Absalom and his ending was brought to David. And it says that David wept and he cried out for his lost son. But he didn't just do it privately. It says that he went to the chamber above the city gate, and there's where he wept and cried out and wailed. And as was David was there wailing, the armies of the Lord, the armies of Israel, walked into the city and marched into the city. And they could hear David, and they hung their heads. And so instead of this being a day of great victory, for them it was a day of great shame. And when Joab saw all of this, he said, enough is enough. And he confronted David, and they had a fierce conversation. He says, David, you are shaming the people who risked their lives to save you and everybody you care about. And the reason why they are ashamed is because you love those who hate you, and you hate those who love you. And you are essentially sending them a message that they do not matter to you. So David, get up, put on your big boy pants, go out and address the people and honor them for what they've done to you. Because if you do not do this by morning, you will have lost your kingdom. Thankfully, David listened to Joab's counsel. He got up and did exactly what Joab told him to do. And after that, David returned to Jerusalem and began to restore the kingdom. So what do we learn from this story? Well, obviously, it teaches us how not to navigate relationships with family, with friends, with coworkers. Uh, it's a cautionary tale about what happens when we fail to act, when we fail to lead, when we fail to speak up. David was a flawed king, okay? He, he was a flawed human being, like all of us. And he was often led by his feelings rather than by wisdom or by principle. And he assumed that his relational problems would just kind of take care of themselves. So because of that, he didn't act and he didn't speak up. Do you know the right words in the right moment can have powerful implications? Do you know your words have power? James 3.6 says the tongue is like a fire. Think about a fire as a fire can be used for good, the fire can be used for tremendous evil. It's a tool. And so because of that, we need to choose our words wisely. But if we don't speak, we are still sending a message. Silence is a message. I like what Susan Scott says in her book, Fierce Conversations. She says this. She says, and by the way, recommended book. You've got to read it, okay? Uh, she says, our work, our relationships, and our lives succeed or fail one conversation at a time. While no single conversation is guaranteed to transform a company, a relationship, or a life, any single conversation can. So speak and listen as if this is the most important conversation you will ever have with this person. And, and it could be. Participate as if it matters. It does. Her recommendation is that we will have fierce conversations with other people. Now, fierce conversations doesn't mean a mean conversation. It means an open and honest, rigorous dialogue with people where we bring our full selves into the conversation and we talk about the things that really matter. How might this story have been different if David had just learned to say, I love you, I'm sorry, or please don't do that. 
But of course, there's so much more to this story. <laughs> because oftentimes we can reflect and think about the practical implications of David's life. But there are a couple more larger lessons at play here that we really need to talk about. So I want to just unpack those for you quickly as we end this morning. First of all, the story teaches us about the destructive power of sin. That's the thing about sin. Sin is a destroyer. It wrecks lives. It ruins relationships. And, and we were designed as human beings to be like God. We were designed to be God's image bearers, to be good, to be holy, to be loving, to be righteous. We were made to shine. And sometimes, I know that's hard, but that's who we were designed to be. So when we sin, what we're ultimately doing is we're moving away from our design. We are moving away from the creator who loves us. Where did Amnon learn that it was okay to just take whatever you want? He learned it from his father, David. You know, as a teenager, he would have witnessed kind of the unfolding scenario in his household as Bathsheba was brought home pregnant. He would have heard whispers of his father's sin from the servants. David, the adulterer. David, the murderer. And so like father, like son, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And if Amnon learned that this is good practice, you can imagine that Absalom also learned that this is good practice. David's sin with Bathsheba ultimately had consequences. Uh, and that's actually what the Lord had spoken to him through the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan, if you recall the story from last week, said to David, you will not die for your sins. However, as a result of what you've done, there will be consequences for what you've chosen. Let's look at what David said, uh, what the Lord said to David through the prophet Nathan. Here's what it said in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. God did raise up evil against David from his own household, and David's wives were slept with uh, by Absalom on the roof of his house. See, it's very human uh, for us. And, and listen, I, I, I'm here with you, okay? It's very human for us to think that we can just sin now and then ask for forgiveness later. But what we don't often realize is what's pleasurable in the now can often be a poison for us later on in life. It can lead to great pain. Because sin has collateral damage. It, it leaves behind a huge wake of destruction, broken lives, ruined relationships, generational sin and bondage, sickness, bankruptcy, and the list goes on and on and on. And so the tale of Absalom, it just teaches us and it reminds us to stay as far away from sin as we possibly can and to stay as close to God as we possibly can. And so let me just ask you a straight-up question this morning. And I'm asking you this question because I care about you and because I love you. Do you have any secrets? Are you on a path to destruction that is ultimately going to wreck you and the people you care about? Now, if you are, and if you have them, there's good news for you, because the story also teaches us about the redemptive power of God. See, even though David failed as a father and as a leader, the Lord still kept his promise. Remember, 2 Samuel chapter 7, when the Lord chose David, he promised David that his throne would last forever through his offspring, and God kept that promise to David. David was able to return to Jerusalem, and ultimately, the promise would be fulfilled through Jesus. And we see a, we see a glimpse of uh, God's redemptive activity in the story. 
through David's escape from Jerusalem, when God disrupts Ahithophel's prayers, uh, uh, Ahithophel's counsel because David prayed, or in the peculiar circumstances of Absalom's death. When David returns to Jerusalem, it demonstrates God's ultimate redemptive rescue for those who, um, who follow his promise. Here's the thing, is that God was able to work through the human mess and carnage, and he can do that to bring about redemption. He is able to take tragic and horrific circumstances and ultimately turn them around for good, if not in the present age, then in the age to come. You know, and I can personally attest to this in my own life. Um, I, I don't know a lot of you who know my story, but I, I don't come from a, a, a pristine, perfect family situation. I, I grew up in a home of... of, of addiction, of, of abuse, of a tremendous amount of hurt and, and brokenness. And I myself made a lot of really stupid mistakes in my youth. But in spite of all of that, when God entered into my world, into my life, and I surrendered my life to him, he brought about tremendous redemption. And today I can say on Father's Day that I am thankful for my marriage I'm thankful for my two daughters who love Jesus. I'm thankful for my two son-in-laws uh, who, who serve the Lord. And I'm thankful that God can take a broken story of tragedy and he can turn it upside down and redeem it for his own good purpose. Because that's who God is. God is a redeemer. And I think every one of us has a redemptive story just waiting to happen. You know, many scholars actually point out the unmistakable resemblance between David's story and Jesus' story. David's story uh, with Absalom is actually it's a foreshadow. It's a signpost that's pointing towards God's ultimate, final, redemptive plan through Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've seen this before, uh, but let me just kind of map it out for us today. So we'll put it up on screen. David faces a rebellion. His own son has set himself up as king in his place. Israel has rejected him. He's betrayed by a trusted companion. He is forced out of Jerusalem. He passes through the Mount of Olives. Those who see him leave the city weep. All seems lost, but outside the city, he wins a great victory and is restored to the throne. Let's look at Jesus. God faces a rebellion from his own creation. His own children of creation set themselves up as rulers in his place. He is ultimately rejected by Israel. He is betrayed by a trusted companion, Judas. He is forced out of Jerusalem. He spends his final hours on the Mount of Olives, Gethsemane. Those who see him and follow him weep, the women. All seems lost, but outside of the city, he wins a great victory and is restored to his heavenly throne, where he ascends to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. David was an imperfect king. He was a failed king, but we have a better king than David. And friends, we should not look to Ottawa, we should not look to Washington, we, we, we should not look to the United Nations, because they will never provide us with the leadership we need, they will never give us the leadership that our hearts secretly long for. But Jesus, the Son of God, is the perfect king, the flawless leader that we need. He does not abuse his power, he does not fail. And he loves the world so much that he's actually willing to die for the entire world and creation. He is the better king. He is the best king. He is the king of kings. And so what the story of Absalom ultimately asks us is this question. Will you surrender your life to the king? Because he is willing to write you a better story. 
and to ultimately to redeem your story. Well, let's pray together. I just want to give you a moment um, this morning to just pause. We are gathered together in the presence of Jesus, our King. He is not far off, and he's listening. And maybe this morning, this is a moment where you just simply say to him, Jesus, rescue me from the path I'm on. Jesus, help me write a better story. We thank you this morning, Lord, for your grace and your mercy demonstrated through David. We thank you, Lord, that today that you are faithful, you are a promise keeper, that you keep your promises even in the midst of our brokenness and our destruction. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a redeeming God who wants the best for us and brings the best to us so that we might be your image bearers. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your goodness to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.